Welcome into another edition of the Loud Outs Podcast. CJ Nikowski and Ryan Spielborgs. Lots to get to as we get a little bit closer to the trading deadline. We are recording on Saturday. Uh, I guess we'll call it afternoon morning for Spilly uh, on July 22nd here. That means we are uh, 10 days away, I guess nine days away. How much, how much you want to count August 1st? The deadline is at six o'clock uh, Eastern time. And so TikTok off we go. And we're also watching some division races get a little bit tighter. And right now in the American League West, and some of these things will kind of tie together when we talk about trade deadline uh, and divisions in particular, we're going to focus on the American League West where the Texas Rangers have been at the top of that division for most of the year. They lost on Friday, a tough one to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And we'll see what happens with Corey Seager. No news yet on him uh, and his sprained thumb and what that means for how much time he may be out. That would be a big blow if it is significant. They said day to day. Uh, we will see. We know the Astros have been dealing with injuries all year long. The Angels have been dealing with some uh, significant injuries. I think the Mariners have been dealing with more lack of production, and then they just had a really bad injury, Spilly. Uh, it was his own fault, and Jared Kelnick will talk about that in a little bit. But things are starting to tighten up just a little bit. The Rangers have a three-game lead over the Astros. The Angels are not going away. I think once we saw the Mike Trout injury and Anthony Rendon, kind of thought, you know what, that might be it for them. And they definitely should <laughs> yeah. trade uh, Shohei Otani. But they're actually a third-place team, 15-48, uh, and 48, as you and I are having this uh, conversation. Eight games back, they're a little four-game uh, winning streak. Shohei Otani gave up four home runs, but one, uh, first time he's ever given up four home runs to the Pirates, by the way, of all teams. Kind of interesting the way that works. But this American League West uh, has gotten interesting, and I think we anticipated it to some degree. But I think it's safe to say, we'll see what the Mariners do here as come deadline time. Uh, but this could potentially be uh, somewhat of a four-team race over the next couple of months. Well, and and I do believe that this is going to be the most active division when it comes to trade deadline. Uh, this You could probably see the most amount of talent being acquired into the American League West out of any division in baseball. It's also strange, too. I mean, I'm waiting for trades. I feel like it. We we should be this weekend should be the start. I was just in Chicago uh, last night for Cubs and St. Louis Cardinals and both teams have players that look to exchange hands. And I can't even tell you how many scouts there were CJ. Mm. I cannot even begin to tell you how many scouts were there. I mean, the food room was packed. Uh, there are a lot of scouts uh, that are watching these teams. And a lot of those scouts that I recognize were from the American league West. So I I'm just watching I'm watching the sport. Uh, I know the White Sox have to be sellers at some point too. So I'm I'm this division because of Otani and because of what's at stake here. Uh, it feels really kind of interesting. I, I was asking somebody yesterday. I was like, okay, um, if you're the Angels, I still stand by my by the the thought process of I want you to trade Otani. Mm-hmm. And what stood out was I had an executive tell me I was like, okay, like what's a legitimate trade package for Shohei. He goes two top 10 prospects, probably two other uh, mid-tier prospects as well. I was like, so four, he's like at a minimum. Yeah. And if you start going around, you know, like organizations, top prospects, like that's what the angels are going to ask for, mm-hmm. which is remarkable when you think about it, because you're, you're at minimum getting two. like they're going to play in the big leagues for sure. With six years of control. So you get 12 years of control of two big leaguers, uh, like no question, which is better than a compensation pick. So again, like even as you as you're listening to, well, should the Angels hold off from Otani? My assumption is that the trade offers in the next 10 days for Otani 
are going to be organizational changing offers that are guaranteed players um, that are guaranteed players that are going to be in the big leagues. And you still have the chance of reacquiring Otani and free agency. So like the next 10 days for the angels, I feel like should be different than the next 10 days for the Rangers and for the Astros and for the Mariners, because the Mariners, I feel like are going to be buyers. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Astros are going to add. I feel like the Rangers have to add to keep that spot. The angels don't have to add other than if they do decide to hang on, <laughs> like they just missed a chance to, I guess, vamp up, ramp up, upgrade their organization. And they're going to miss out this chance because of, of the next 10 days, which to me is, is really, I, I think is the narrative of the next two weeks of baseball is if the angels can win and really it, like if I'm an angels fan, I want them to lose. <laughs> well, if, if the guarantee is that they will trade Shohei Otani, if they lose, uh, they currently uh, three games back of the third wild card spot, excuse me, uh, three spots back. Right. So they are four total games back, but they're looking up at a couple of other teams. They would have to right now jump the Yankees, the Red Sox and the Blue Jays in order to go to the postseason, even as a wild card team. That's asking a lot as they sit four games back. The Mariners are right behind them at four and a half, which is interesting because I feel like the Mariners are an automatic ad. Right. I feel like they absolutely have to be buyers because the offense just has not lived up to the expectations and they have the pitching that could go on and run in the postseason. I think absolutely uh, a possibility for them, but they got to get there first. So they seem like an easy ad offensively, especially with Jared Kelnick going down after he kicked a cooler uh, and fractured his uh, foot. Uh, he wasn't doing that well lately anyway. The offense wasn't. I felt like they needed an upgrade now that just kind of amplifies that they do that. But it's interesting to look at the Angels in front of them and say, well, maybe they should be shell- uh, selling Shohei Otani. Uh, it is, you know, the way you laid it out right there, I think for Angels fans and anybody that's trying to be objective, maybe that doesn't mean Angel fans, it makes all the sense in the world. Um, I've had, you and I have talked about it on MLB Network Radio, the percentage chance of that being really low because the best time of trading was last year. They would have absolutely crushed it even better. The thing that scares me, though, about the way that you laid it out, and I'm not saying that you're not accurate, I think it makes a lot of sense, um, is that we're still talking about prospects and there are no guarantees. We can talk about, you know, can't miss prospects and guys that we think are going to be good. And you may hit, end up with a couple of real stars. Uh, you may miss and you might have one guy that hangs around for a couple of years, another guy who ends up being you know, a utility piece, whatever it may be that you can use or a pitcher who eventually goes into the bullpen you think is a starter. Um, and that would be a real frustration there when you start to uh, kind of look at that as possibly for me, if I'm Perry Manazian and I'm trading uh, for the, uh, for Shohei Otani, I need at least one guy that's already a proven big league commodity to go along with that. Maybe it's a guy with a year of service time in, uh, you know, who knows where he would go. I can't imagine they would trade him in the division, um, but I need some guys that have started to do some things uh, at least a little bit. And they've already faced big league pitching. They've already faced big league hitters. And how many contenders can really afford to do that, right? That are in a spot where they can take somebody off of their big league roster and add Shohei Otani. Of course, they'd love to have him. Um, and then are you willing to empty out your system? Again, that's why last year, if I'm a GM trying to acquire Shohei Otani, it would have been a lot easier for me to say yes. It would have been a lot easier to give you my top two guys and then you want my 12th and my 15th or whatever that number may be or one of my guys off my big league roster because now I have two shots here with Shohei Otani and I get a full year of that revenue of having Shohei Otani in my uniform. The thing that I would love to know that I don't know if anybody can answer, what is the financial impact of two months of Shohei Otani? I understand the team that's acquiring him. The team that's acquiring him is they want him to help him win. But that instant boost of the Otani jerseys, 
all the advertisements that come in from the Japanese companies, uh, the Japanese television, and of course, attendance on top of it to go along with the fact that you expect to be winning some games. What would that mean? Um, we don't, I don't know what the number is, but that has to come into play somehow, some way in acquiring him. So I like the way you lay it out. Again, I just don't know um, who's going to be able to pull the trigger. And if, again, if I'm running the Angels, I got to have a big league commodity back, at least one uh, in this group of four or five players that are coming my way. I, I mean, my guess is for whatever, who, uh, like Otani, we already know is going to get a half a billion dollar contract when mm-hmm. he does sign as a free agent. And if you were to put a value on what the Angels have already received in Otani, they've probably received close to a half a billion dollars in 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 value, mm-hmm. marketing, uh, all the 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 jersey sales, tickets, alcohol sales, um, the value that it's it's increased. Uh, for Artie Moreno and what the angels are worth. Um, so, and, and that's for basically what $60 million mm-hmm. the last six years or seven years that the angels have had Otani, it's cost them $60 million. And they essentially have a, a half a billion dollars in value of a player. So when they trade this player, they're going to say it there in their mind. They're like, I'm trading you a half a billion dollar player. Mm-hmm. I need that return in kind for two months. So that's, that's another sticking port uh, part for, <laughs> For why I'm with you, I, I think it's going to be very difficult to trade Otani. I still keep it right around 40%. But in the case of a, of an organization that does acquire, you get two players. We know that. You get the marketing side, which is going to be off the charts. I mean, if Otani jerseys are going to be the number one jersey in sure. Major League Baseball, wherever he goes, uh, it's going to, and if it's a number change, that'd be crazy too, right? Like it'd be Otani 18, Otani 19, whatever, Otani 21, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and whatever that looks like. He was number 11 in, uh, in Japan that's when he played for Oryx. So, I mean, those, those jerseys, Nippon. Are, he was, uh, he was in, uh, Hokkaido, I mean, Nippon. He? Yeah. yeah. He, he was, uh, he was, he was, Nippon for the ham fighters. Fighters. Yeah. he was for the ham fighters. And then on top of that, like, I remember this story. This dates back so long ago when Roger Clemens signed, and I believe he signed with Houston, and it was for the final. It was with you, right, for the final two months. I was of the not season. there, no, but it was right around that time, and yeah. uh, it was he got something like twelve million dollars uh, mm-hmm. to sign for like a couple months, and the argument was, man, what what a waste of money, and the owner's response was, why? Uh, he brings two million dollars a night every time he pitches, so. <laughs> I'm going to make a million dollars every single time he pitches. So it's mm-hmm. a wash. I actually make money by signing him for 12. He brings in 24. That's pretty good return on my investment in less than two months. So my guess is with Otani, he's going to bring in for every single home game that you have them millions and dollars of, of additional revenue that you weren't going to get. Yeah. You get to the postseason, that's even more. And we just saw what, what happens if you win a World Series the yeah. overall value of winning a World Series or even getting to the postseason is hundreds of millions of dollars, not just to the organization itself, but to the economy around the stadium. So, sure. I mean, all these things. But, but are, you, are you acquiring Otani just to make money or are you acquiring Otani to win this year? Because if you don't, if you get knocked out in, you know, the league championship series or if you even make it that far or whatever, you get knocked out. Uh, in the first or second round. And so some of that money's not there and he's gone, right? He's going somewhere else. And so, okay, well, congratulations. You made $15 million, but you just got, you just wiped out your farm system. Are you putting that $15 million into the payroll next year? It's only 15 for one year. Well, I, I don't doubt that it's a great financial move, but what does it do to your organization if you wipe out your system? 
And is that really worth the 15 or $20 million you're putting in your pocket? Well, it could be way more. I mean, it could yeah. be hundreds of millions of could dollars. Be, but putting. I'm saying you, you can't treat it that way. It's not a guarantee. And even then, right, if you win the whole thing, whatever that might be worth um, to your team, um, yeah, that would be fantastic. And that probably would make it worth it, right? You win a World Series. Is it worth then gutting your system and perhaps yeah, not being able to support? Yeah, that's a yes, right? Look at the Marlins. The years they won, they emptied out. It's still worth it. It's worth it for them to have won those two World Series that they won, even though they stunk in between um, and pretty much since for the most part. So I, I get it. That is worth it. But if you don't win it, that is a huge gamble that you're taking. Um, and then, of course, you're in that spot. Now, could you go out and trade other pieces eventually? I mean, I think it it lends itself to what has to be a more aggressive offseason where you maybe have to add that to your payroll is how you look at it. And I don't know what those dollar, dollars are, but I think if you're, you know, you're a billionaire, you're betting on what the guarantee is. All right, we're going to have him for two months. We've got to pay him $10 million. That gets added right a third of his $30 million salary. So there's $10 million gone. How much am I bringing in, assuming you're not subtracting any other payroll uh, in the process um, and what that really looks like? So it's a tough one, man. Listen, and the one I wanted to ask you about is because you know this one well, but if you, know, if you pull a, a Nolan Arenado trade, well, then it's a real disaster. Because all five of those players for the Angels or for the, um, for the Rockies, Rockies haven't done haven't done what you know what I mean like you haven't ended up like you gave up those five players that came across plus plus yeah. money going the other way yeah that's why you got to get a big leaguer if it happens there's for me there's got to I don't want to hear about four prospects there the, nothing is guaranteed there a guy who has played in the big leagues and has shown me at least a little something and I have an idea who he is doesn't mean he's going to be great the rest of the way but I got to at least see that because they're not going into a rebuild. Perry Manassian is very competitive, right? We've seen what he's done. They're gonna if they're not gonna win this year, they're gonna be right back at it trying to win next year. Let me point and so I don't know if he wants four guys that may or may not help him um, down the road. I'm not saying there's you know a couple of prospects you wouldn't want to get your hands on from certain organizations, but there's got to be a big leaguer coming the other way. So what another another wrinkle in this is Oakland. Oakland in the American League West, and that's why I'm so fascinated by this division is because it feels like this one is going to be the most active. And I also I'm, I'm anticipating some of these teams getting active like today, tomorrow, like I like we're going to start seeing some moves this week. We have to. There's no way you wait till the wire. You, there's no way. I mean, uh, you, you kind of have to, <laughs> to, to get it going. But in the case of Oakland and the numbers for the athletics against the American League West are just horrendous. They have four wins. Uh, they're currently on a 14-game losing streak against the American League West. Uh, Kyle Tucker last night hit three jacks. <laughs> Kyle Tucker is amazing. I love him. But in the case of the Angels, they they're already they've played him seven times. Mm -hmm. So, and we know with the with the schedule, um, there's a, what about six more games remaining. So six games for the Angels and assuming that they're able to handle the Oakland Athletics. Now, I get it. Like, I, I'm, you and I have been in this sport way too long to automatically count wins against a certain team. It just doesn't it doesn't work that way out that itself out. But if if the Angels can finish the season and be, you know, win out of those next six games four or even five and, and let's say talk best case scenarios, they win six. That's such a huge jump in their possibility of of getting back into the uh, wild card race, but the same thing is like Seattle Mariners and and the Rangers and the Astros. They still have their legs at the Astros at at, at Oakland as well. Yeah, I, I I guess you know it's one or the other. And I haven't looked at the schedule as far as when they're actually playing the A's. I mean, the division is tough. 
uh, outside of the A's, everybody else are, are pretty good in competitive teams in Seattle, Houston, and Texas. So that's the part that I'm not sure about them. Are they going to? I felt all along that the Angels were just going to hold on to Shohei Otani if they were even remotely close and try to get back in this thing um, and find themselves in the postseason, even without Mike Trout right now and Anthony Rendon and the injuries um, that they're dealing with. But yeah, it's part of it. I mean, everyone gets to play the A's, though, right? I mean, that's the other thing is that um, everyone's going to have their opportunities to hopefully pad their wins. I don't know if I look at that and, and say, okay, well, you know, the Angels should hold on because uh, they might have a chance to win because the A's stink. I, I, I wouldn't look at it that way. Um, but, you know, I you mean, know I some think, quant what the Angels is. Say that again. You know, it, it, like, uh, you know, somebody in the front office is, is looking at that. Uh, maybe, right? So, but the Angels have played 30 games already against the West. The Mariners at 26, the Astros at 32, the Rangers have only played 27. Right, so have games against your division. I mean, maybe, yeah, they'll look at it, but I don't know if you're going to be able to sell uh, general manager and Perry Manazian and the decision he makes there uh, based on what the rest of the schedule looks like. they got to make that decision based on whether or not they believe that they can get there of any chance. I mean, they look at it, certainly, um, but everybody else gets that opportunity, too, um, is part of the problem. What about the Seattle Mariners? Uh, Jared Kelnick ends up kicking a cooler. He's upset about a strikeout that he had. He got off to a great start. Started to slow down. I think he had one home run like in his last 45 games or something. And so that frustration that we saw from him building um, last year, right? It was constant. The last two years, right? When he first got to the big leagues, you saw him hit 180-something. The next year, was last year, was like 140-something. This year, he gets off to a great start, starts to slow down. There's some real frustration. I felt bad for this kid because you could see it afterwards. He was very emotional when oh, yeah. he addressed the media and found out that he fractured his foot. And so I, I've watched him and I look at a kid that takes the weight of the world of his career on his shoulders. And it seems more negative than positive. Even when he does things well, it seems like he's more focused on when things go wrong. They, they, they're more present for him than when they go well. Um, and so some of that emotion, you know, pours over into a bad decision that he makes. They needed offense anyway. I, I was on high heat with Alana Rizzo on Friday. And before this even happened, I had said to her, or maybe it was Thursday, I said to her, um, you know, I said, Cody Ballinger might be a fit in Seattle. Oh, for like, Seattle? No question. You know, And now I think it becomes even more so. And Jerry DePoto, we know, is not going to sit back. It's still a fourth-place team, but they're a very likable fourth-place team for me, Spilly. Um, only four and a half games back of the wild card right now. Uh, if they can add some offense to go with what is a really good pitching staff, um, it's probably two pieces, but at least one, uh, a guy like Bellinger seems like it'd be a great fit. Yeah. And I just, I, I watched Bellinger yesterday. He looks as good as I've seen him in, in the last five years. Uh, you know, 2019 was his, was the big breakout year when he won the MVP. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when you saw him, you know, he's, he's just so athletic Bell, Bellinger is. And, and so you know, he could play center field. He could play first base when he's slugging, he can slug. He didn't, he doesn't have a, a really high strikeout rate this year. It's right around 17%, which be, would be a huge improvement for Seattle. Um, he has gone through a couple swing changes. Cody Bellinger has in the last couple of years where, I mean, I used to say the analogy for Cody Bellinger, watching him hit, especially the last couple seasons with the Dodgers was, you know, you're, you're on a, you're on a hill with a stick shift. And you're, you're trying to get it in gear and you're just revving it. You, you just, it's like, and you're, you're mm. just, you're not good with the clutch. That's, and I'm not saying he's not a clutch player. I'm just, my analogy was, it was a stick shift car on a hill. That's what Bellinger looked like hitting. That's what he looked like hitting yesterday. He looks athletic. He's shorting up the stance. He's firing his hips again. I think a lot of it has to do with his legs. Uh, Cause you remember he, he, he's been hurt multiple times, had a rib injury, had the shoulder, 
so he just looks healthy. So mm-hmm. I would I would be happy. I would be ecstatic if I'm the Mariners for Cody Bellinger. Um, on the other side, Jared Kelnick, man, you and I, I've been around players like this that are emotional wrecks. They're far too negative, and it's it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Like they, these are highly emotional players where when things don't go their way, they just, they implode. And 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 I get it. I mean, like. I've done silly things. I've never punched a wall because they struck out. Uh, I know there's been players that have done that. And, and when they get injured, they're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. My bad. Those guys are going to snap later on in their career, too. It, like, it doesn't go away. That There's a trigger that fires them off, and that's their way of releasing it. And it's not a healthy release. It's not. Um, <laughs> so can I see this kid growing up a little bit more? Sure. Yeah, I mean. Okay, yeah. I mean, and like and, and I felt really bad for him too. I felt really bad for him. But self-inflicted injuries due to anger, temper, and I this game is as negative of a game as there is in sports. You fail three out of ten times or seven out of ten times. It's hard, mm-hmm. but you have to find ways. And I don't think I mean it's that's a personality trait, it doesn't just go away. So nope. it stinks. It yeah, stinks. It- it does. It was really unfortunate. Now they have to pivot, probably make a move, bring some kind of offense in. They're not the only ones. The Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros will also have a lot of rumors surrounding them. As we get closer to the trade deadline, we've already heard a couple regarding the Houston Astros, and it seems like starting pitching is where the focus is going to be. They've had a lot of injuries there. We know that. It looks like you know some other things on the offensive side, like some positive things happening, right? You mentioned Kyle Tucker with his three home runs, but Chaz McCormick's been swinging a pretty good bat. They need to get uh, Jordan back, and they need to get Jose Altuve back, and they may be fine offensively. I'm not too worried about the Houston Astros, but they've been rumored on guys like uh, Marcus Stroman, and what we saw a couple years ago back in 2019 when they won that World Series was they also won the Justin Verlander sweepstakes prior to that at the deadline. That was a game-changer for them. Because, again, I bring it up all the time. You go back to the championship series, the four teams, both between the National League and the American League, that were in the championship series that year were rumored to some degree on Justin Verlander. It was the Astros that got him. It was the Astros that rode him to a World Series title. Uh, It has a similar feeling again this year is who's going to make the biggest move because there are needs out there. And I wonder about the Rangers. Like, their rotation is in in pretty good shape, even without Jacob deGrom. Their, Their attention will be on the bullpen. But I've always wondered about, do you make a move to try to prevent somebody else from making that move, whether it comes, you know, comes down to acquiring a starter uh, as an example. And a guy like Marcus Stroman, who's been uh, rumored, not just with the Astros, but a bunch of other teams as well. To me, for these two teams right now, it's going to be a very competitive uh, trading deadline. And you have basically, you know, two first time GMs in Dana Brown and Chris Young. Now, Chris Young took over last year uh, before the season ended when John Daniels was let go. And it was you know kind of his organization. Dana Brown hired late in the offseason. Uh, but you have two guys that are going through this kind of solo uh, for the first time right now uh, come trade deadline time. And whoever makes the move here between the Rangers and the Astros, as the Astros trail now just three games in the American League West to Texas, uh, could be the separator and the big decision maker uh, that we're talking about in the postseason. Yeah, I, I, again, like I think all signs point as we just just having this discussion about the American League West, all signs point in in my opinion, as we as we just walked it through that the American League West will be the most active division for this trade deadline. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it, it's lining up that way. There's four teams that have a bunch of decisions to make that want to be good. 
you also have an Oakland A's team that I think is going to get picked apart uh, with some of their players that, that I think can be expendable. And so I, I would love to see after this trade deadline's done, how many players moved into and out of the American League West in comparison to the rest of the divisions. My guess is yeah. they're going to win by a large margin. That's my that's my my best guess. And Wait, how do you feel about being proactive, like in the sense of like, hey, we got let's make this move. We can use this guy, but it also keeps him away from this other organization. Well, I love I love that. And if I'm Houston, I'm doing that 100 percent. I don't want Texas Rangers to take over Texas. That's How that's a, that's a deal. I look I, and you know this. Yeah. Ukraine wants nothing more than to dominate the Texas Rangers. Mm. That's it. That's his M.O. It, it's it's like. Arizona, uh, U of A baseball versus ASU, like nothing else matters other than you have to beat that team. Like your whole season depends on beating that team. Uh-huh. Uh, that, that's that's what it feels like for the Astros is like they just want to own the Texas Rangers. So if they if they jump the gun and they end up taking a Verlander or Scherzer away from what could be the Rangers, yeah, that meant, like of course, like that makes perfect sense. Being proactive to take something away from the team that is probably going to go try to go get it. Yeah, it's fascinating, man. It really is. And the other part of that, when as we get closer to this deadline and who makes the moves, and I think there's some big ones out there is another team, and there's a bunch that are going to be looking to add some starting pitching. The Braves are probably looking to add some starting pitching as they deal with some injuries, certainly bullpen um, as well. But the Baltimore Orioles in particular, last team I want to focus on here with them because, you know, they've done it. You know, last year what they did, we didn't love it, right? Traded away some big pieces despite the fact that they were playing some good baseball. They continued to play some good baseball, didn't get the support from the front office. The payoff is now. It worked out, right? It worked out well for them. Let some of these younger guys play. They're really emerging into stars. It's been fun to watch. I'm glad Baltimore has got the attention of Major League Baseball again and fans just not even in Baltimore, but outside of Baltimore. They're a first-place team right now. Uh, ahead, kind of in a virtual tie, if you will, with the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays actually have two more wins, but they have a couple more losses as well. So it's a little bit more of the imbalance of the schedule and the games that they have played total. But they're a first-place team. And they probably need to add some starting pitching. So they're in that conversation um, as well. And they they got to do it, right? They got to pull the trigger. They got all kinds of young pieces. Everything they have done up to this point has been relatively comfortable and easy. And I don't want to say hide behind the idea that they have been uh, rebuilding, but it just makes it very easy to trade Trey Mancini. You say, we're staying with the plan. Trading Lopez, we're staying with the plan, right? And I, I respected that. I said it last year. Now, Now it's time. Now it's time to pay. Now you actually owe this fan base something. You put this great roster together. They've done excellent work. Brandon Hyde deserves it. The clubhouse deserves it. The fans deserve it. All eyes for me, Spilly, on the Baltimore Orioles, and I did not think I'd be saying this when the season started. The onus is on them. They have got to get it done. They've done a great job. They need help. They got to get bring that help in now come deadline time. The worst, I hate saying this. I have no faith in what Mike Elias is capable of doing during this time frame because I've never seen it. Uh, I, I'm, if I was to, you know, Andrew Friedman versus Mike Elias, take Friedman and the Dodgers, uh, <laughs> Alex Anthopoulos or uh, the Baltimore Orioles. I'll take Alex Anthopoulos with the with Atlanta all day long. I I don't know if they're capable of making a a, a move big enough. To make a splash, I get. I could see them. I could see them doing the marginal decisions. I could see that, you know, I, just adding along the fringes. Mm. As far as like making the the kaboom, 
and taking it to that level, the Johnny Cueto, Kansas City, Dayton Moore deal, I, I don't have confidence in, in Mike and being able to do that. Not because I don't think he's capable of doing I've never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's no history of it. So the part of it for me along those lines, and I and I get it. I've, I've been in that spot like with John Mozalak, right? John Mozalak having to trade, which is something away from your team, which is something they haven't done. Uh, usually we look at the Cardinals as a team uh, who are adding. What are those asks going to look like? Um, you know, we'll see. But I'll, I'm with you on that. Um, but I'm what I, not so much I don't believe in Michael Elias' ability to do it. What I'm wondering for him and his front office is they've done such a great job. They're player development people, draft people, everybody, to get all these young players, uh, either in the big leagues or some that are still in the minor leagues and, and they're getting it done, you get so attached. You're so involved in what you have done and you deserve to pat yourself on the back for what you have done. It's really impressive. Yeah. And now it's like, well, somebody's got to go. And how do you do it? It's like trying to pick one of your children. That's how I would feel. If there's, you know, I will say this. I think the best executives do a nice job and it might sound cold hearted, but you got to separate the emotion and you, yes. and you have to. You know, Dave Dombrowski's not afraid to make a move. We know that, right? And the guys that have been around and done yeah, it for a long time. Yeah, at least scorched earth behind it, too. Exactly. So that's the thing. And so that's the position the Orioles are in. It's tough, man. Because you're like, man, we look at look what we did here. Wow, look at that. Look at Gunner. Oh, look at Adley. Oh, look at, you know, we got a boom. Here we go. This is working yeah. out great. Hey, somebody's got to go. Why well, can't somebody's hoard them all? Go. Somebody's got to go. CJ, so, think about this. Go. I mean, watch. I'll, I'll do a quick exercise for you. Um, we'll, we'll just take the general managers in the American League East. And and you give me your confidence on on who's capable of pulling off the the best moves. You have Eric Neander, mm-hmm. Brian Cashman. You have Ross Atkins in Toronto, who's made some massive deals in the last couple of years. He's got he's acquired Jose Barrios. He's he's done some big deals. Uh, you you have uh, Mike Elias, and then you have in Boston Ryan Bloom. Who's like where does Mike even rank in this one? I, my guess is he's ranking fifth out of these guys because he hasn't done it. Yes. I mean, he's been there obviously with the Astros, but the thing that he has is pieces. So while he hasn't done it, he does have the tools to be able to do it. Like he doesn't have to get ultra creative. I mean, they may, but because he has the pieces that other teams are going to want, he might, they'll be able to match up well. So they'll have options, right? It's, it's what's like, you know, basically it's like playing a poker hand. That's a, it's a solid hand. You know, how can you not play your full house? They got a he's got a full house in his hand right now. He can bet along. Now you're sitting there with a pair of twos, like some other teams are, and trying to pull something off. Those were the, were the great ones. Really step in and kind of get it done. So my confidence level is not as low as yours because he's got he's got a good hand. Now it's just a matter of whether or not he's going to play it. And we'll yeah, see. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like if I had a full house and I'm going up against Phil Hellmuth, you know, <laughs> long you know legendary poker player. Do you think I can beat him? That's that's what it feels yeah. like right now. Is is me versus Phil Hellmuth? Uh, and yeah, I've played poker my whole life and back of the plane with a bunch of dummies taking their money. Oh, but you think you think my my poker playing skills can can defeat somebody that's been doing it for a living? I don't think so. I'm excited, man. I know some people were wondering about the deadline and is it going to be flat? I think the White Sox are going to deal heavy. The question becomes whether or not they go as deep as, say, a guy like Dylan Cease. Uh, We will see. The Cardinals have already thrown it out there. The New York Mets haven't declared just yet, but we know teams are doing their due diligence. Heard some rumblings about Justin Verlander. He said all the right things so far. John Paul Morosi reporting earlier today on Saturday that the Giants are starting to dig around on him. 
um, a little bit. He, he's throwing the ball pretty well. Uh, he could be a difference maker. His last start was a really, uh, really good one. What a disappointment that would be. These poor Mets fans got to sit back and watch their team potentially trade. But we'll definitely do this again before we get to the trade deadline. We still got, uh, I guess, I mean, how do you officially say it? So if today's the 22nd, uh, do you say it's it's nine days away? You count the first, like that's the day it's going to happen? I think I count today. I count, uh, today. You count today also. So anyway, it's August 1st. Uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Spilly and I will be with you both here. Uh, we'll be on MLB uh, Network Radio. We'll be on social media, probably sharing our thoughts as well, because we love the deadline almost as much as we love the postseason. This uh, overall season really has not disappointed. It continues to get better. And the excitement builds. As always, we appreciate you guys listening uh, to the podcast. Make sure you catch Spilly and I on MLB Network Radio. Loud outs is 2 to 5. Eastern time every single weekday on MLB Network Radio, Sirius XM Channel 89, and also Chris Jimenez and Kevin Franson do the weekend show. That show is 10 to 1 Eastern time on MLB Network Radio. Have a great day, everybody. Sirius XM Podcasts.